Revelation 3, 20. And he said this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will, and I will come in and dine with him and he with me. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I really believe today God has given us an invitation to let him in. To let him in to where we are right now with what's going on right now. I feel that there's something that he wants to shift in the atmosphere. And as I was meditating on that, Josh came up. He said, I feel like the Lord just said, ask Jesus to take us to the Father. And you go, what? I thought they're one. They are. They're one, but they're three. And, uh, but he said, take us to the Father. To take us to the Father that we might know how the Father sees us and how he loves us. And And that's what Philip said in John chapter 14. He looked at Jesus. He said, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long that you don't see the Father? You don't know who I am? But I I believe with what Josh said, there's that invitation that God is giving us today. And uh, I want us to continue in worship a few more minutes because I feel like the Lord's given an invitation today that whatever it is that you came in with, he wants you free. He said, I stand at the door and I knock. And you know, he was talking to the church there. Amen. That's who he was talking to. He wasn't talking to the sinner. It applies. It applies to the sinner. They can open their heart today. And I pray that you will if you're here and you don't know Jesus. I'm just, what's so stirring on the inside of me is that today is a day of freedom and liberty from the things that have had us bound for so very long. And he said, I'm knocking. I'm telling you, there's another way that you don't have to stay where you are. I'm knocking. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in and I will sup with you. I'm going to tell you, when Jesus brings food, it's good. It's abundance. And it's good. And I don't know what your food needs to be today. I don't know what that thing is that you need the most, but he does. And I'm telling you, there's an invitation today. He said, I'm standing and I'm knocking. It doesn't matter where you came, what road brought you here, you're here and he's knocking. And he's saying, come to me. He said, come to me all you're weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. So as we worship, I want you, we, we all use our imagination for all types of things. We use it for all types of things. Many times our imagination has been hijacked and it's used for worry and fear. Yeah, I know. But we, we redeem that imagination today and we say, God, we say yes to you and we open the door and and. Don't put a, a box around what that looks like. When you say, God, I open my door to you. I, I'm not going to box it in and don't you. Just say, God, I open my door to you. Jesus, take me to the Father. Show me the Father's heart for me today. Because he said, I know the thoughts that I have for you, he told Jeremiah. I know the thoughts that I have for you. So I invite you to invite him in. Here's what's so cool. He already knows. He already knows. And it's not stopping him from you. It's stopping you from him. Are you with me? Does that make sense? It's not like when you open up and invite him in, he's going to see something he doesn't know. (laughs) Light bulb. He knows, but, but it's stopping you from knowing him, not him knowing you. Because it... It doesn't hinder him. He's just waiting for you to invite him in. Jesus, you're beautiful. All together, love. So, Father, right now, right now, we open the door. We say, come. God, I thank you that as we dine with you, you make our enemies your footstool. You said you'd prepare a table for us in the presence, right in front of our enemies. God, many times our enemies are our 
condemnation upon ourselves, our mistakes that hold us into bondage, our past hurts that, that will not allow us to open up and love again, bitterness or unforgiveness from hurts. God, we open them up to you and we declare that today we'll eat in the presence of them. Fear, worry, we've been redeemed. We open up, we say, Jesus, we desire to dine with you in the presence of those lies, in the presence of those attacks, in the presence of those accusers. We choose to dine with you. Thank you, God, for freedom. Freedom in this place today. (laughs) I was reminded this week, Lord Jesus, that you said, all power is given unto me. So that means the enemy has none. (laughs) Only what we give him of our power and our authority. So Jesus, we invite you, come. Come now. Have your way in us as we set our gaze on you. Hallelujah. says, hey, I have some great food. Can I come over? Let's cook together. Let's make something delicious. Let's eat together. Let's hang out. You say, well, I'm kind of busy right now. I have a bunch of condemnation and fear and worry, and I'm just getting trampled. Is that all right? I'm coming anyway. And sure enough, he shows up, and he knocks on the door, and your heart leaps, and a weight falls off your shoulders, and he comes in. And he has everything, all the ingredients, everything you need. He has the recipe. You don't have to come up with a recipe. Let's put it together. Let's do it. And you're sitting there and you're eating with him. And just like the woman who fell at Jesus' feet, he turns to you and says, where are your accusers? And all of a sudden you look around and realize... we started singing that song, um, I got this picture in this word, um, and we've been singing a lot this morning about the glory of God, and I was thinking in the Bible about all the times that we have seen the glory of God on display, especially in the Old Testament. People were changed when they experienced the glory. They were forever affected by it. Their course of life changed as the glory of God brought direction in the desert in the day and in the night as it came upon Moses' law were put in place, and he was physically changed by the time spent in the presence of God. Not just inside, but people physically noticed that he had changed. I kept seeing the picture of the Israelites in the desert. In one moment, they were in complete darkness, and the Lord instantly brought a pillar of fire to guide and direct them to give them light. Their physical circumstances changed in an instant because of God. 
Do we not desire the same experience as we dwell in the presence of God? Should we not be physically changed by knowing him, by spending time with him? Do we see him guiding and directing us in our life so we know which way to go and how to respond in every situation? As we get to know the Father, live with him, fall in love with Jesus, our life should change course. The path we were on should be altered as we adjust to it by following him. We have the opportunity to be physically changed on a daily basis simply by spending time with him. We can go from defeat to victory. We can go from sorrow to despair to joy and redemption. We can go from traveling down a lonely road to having a purpose and direction in life simply by spending time with the Father and by embracing the weight of his glory. Spirit, for your presence, that even as Katie said, God, we are changed, not just emotionally or spiritually, God, but physically changed. God, I believe there's freedom to our physical bodies as we come into your presence, Lord, from attack, from pain and torment of the enemy, God, there's freedom. From a mind that's been bound by lies, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. So God, I thank you for that right now. That liberating freedom. In Jesus' name. Um, <clears throat> there's something the Lord's had on my heart for some time. Uh, I've been meditating uh, quite a bit, especially going through the time that our country's gone through with the elections and the turmoil that you still see. Uh, the Lord's been speaking to my heart about uh, the land of Goshen when uh, Joseph was uh, in charge in Israel. Uh, he brought his family in when he revealed himself to his brothers and they knew who he was. Pharaoh said, you can give them the land of Goshen. And it was uh, just outside there uh, of Egypt. And Goshen, the word Goshen literally means to draw near. So what he had told his family is, he said, I'm going to put your, place, your family in a place that draws, they're drawn near. Because they had been way away and, and uh, now they had been drawn near. And then as I was looking at that, um, he said in Genesis, he said, you'll dwell in the land of Goshen and, and uh, you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. He said, I'm going to put you at a place where you'll be near to me. And God is calling us in this hour again to Goshen to a place of drawing near to him. You know what else is so beautiful? That in Exodus, when God was getting ready to deliver the children of Israel, when the plagues hit, he said that there's going to be darkness, but there'll be light in the houses of the children of Israel. There'll be light in what? In Goshen. What's Goshen? A place of drawing near. And what you have to understand is this wasn't natural light. If lamps would work, can the, could the uh, Egyptians use lamps? It's not a trick question. Yes, the Egyptians could use lamps. Uh, so it wasn't that. There was a supernatural darkness that lights didn't function in. But in the land of Goshen, there was light. So we can say the same thing. If that was under the old covenant, God said, this is what I'm going to do for my people. If we in the new covenant are his children, he's promised that we are light in a dark place. And he said that in the last days, it'll grow dark, but our light will arise. Isaiah said, our light will arise in darkness and it will shine. So when things look dark all around, God says, I want you to draw near because as you draw near, you're changed. 
And Paul said, we go from what? From glory to glory. We're changed as we behold him. So the changing doesn't just happen because you come to church. There's a limit of change that can take. There's a, a limited amount of change that can take place. Because I believe as we come together, Paul said in Hebrews, don't, I mean, yeah, in Hebrews it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some have. But uh, he, so when we come together, Proverbs says that iron sharpens iron. So there is some uh, change that can take place as we come together. But as we draw near to him, that's where real change takes place. As we draw near to him in that land of Goshen, that place of drawing near, when we draw near to him, that's when change really takes place. And, that, and he is so tender towards us. He's not one to take his place. He waits for us to open up that place to him. And I, I, I sense in this day that we live, as much as ever before, it's a time that we must draw near. Because if we don't, we can see darkness all around, and you will be persuaded by darkness if you continue to look at it. And he went on to say, if your darkness, if, if your light is darkness, how great is that darkness? So we can't constantly look at the lies of the enemy and feel or even think that we're going to walk in victory. But as we draw near to him, as we see him for who he is, altogether lovely, the beautiful one, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, as we see him, we're transformed from glory to glory. We're, we're changed into his image that we can shine brightly in this world. But it comes in that place of drawing near, not once a week, but every day. Not just in the morning. I'm, I'm all about, I'm a morning person. I'm all about getting up and spending time with the Lord. But that's not just enough that you spend time with the Lord. We can't be uh, somewhat agnostic. And I think most, I don't know, I'm trying to throw a bunch of stuff at you. I think a lot of people live ag agnostic Christian lifestyles. What does that mean? We separate God and we live, this is church life and this is my life. There's probably a God, but right now I've got to do this. If it's going to, if I'm going to make, if it's going to happen, I've got to make it happen. And we live a separated life instead of saying, Jesus, I want you in every part of my life. I don't just get up and have a devotion in the morning and go live my life according to me. That every day I'm in communion with, he, with you. I'm talking with you, saying, Jesus, what are you saying to me right here, right now? That's the relationship that he desires for us to have. And so many times we compartmentalize him. We talk about putting God in a box, and we do that in the context of, well, God can do anything. He's bigger than what you think. I tell you, we put him in a box more than just that. And the fact that we think that here's the way our day is going to look, instead of getting up saying, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Jesus, what plans do you have today? It doesn't mean that we don't plan, but it means that we're not putting him in a box as this is how it has to work. Does that make sense? I mean, you can go to a job to where it's rough most of the time. And you can go in with a different perspective saying, Jesus, even in that, I choose not to look at what's wrong, but the opportunity that I have a job, that I get to make money and I get to pay bills. Amen. I know that's not a shout me down one. But God, I thank you that, that you've provided this for me, and I choose to draw near to you. I choose to draw near to you. I had something totally different planned, but I love the Lord. And I feel like uh, he's, he's leading me here, so here's where we're going to go. As, as we were in the first part of worship and I talked about uh, him saying, open up, you know, I stand at the door and I knock if you'll open unto me. I really felt like there were things that were going to be broken off of people. I really felt like there were addictions, oppressions and things like that that were being broken off just by our willingness to say, Jesus, come in. And the lie that we've believed from the enemy is if I let him in, he'll see all my mess. <laughs> and that's why I tried to clarify, he knows your mess. He knows your mess. He's not, when Adam, 
and Eve sinned, God didn't hide himself from them. They hid themselves from him. Yeah. Sin will cause us to hide thinking that I don't want God to see this. When God says, I see it, if you'll just come, I can free you from the bondage of it. Because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. He's saying, I want to free you from the bondage of it. And it doesn't have to be sexual sin. It doesn't have to be uh, uh, addictions and drugs or alcohol or anything like that. Sometimes we just have a mindset, a lifestyle of being pessimistic. And we need to be free from that. Absolutely. We get addicted to worry. And we think, you know, how many of you, if you get a call, if you're normal bedtime and all your peoples know... Your normal bedtime is 9, 30, 10 o'clock. All right, work with me. I'm 47. <laughs> I would love to go to bed 9, 30, 10 o'clock. doesn't happen much, but it's beautiful when it does because 5 o'clock comes early in the morning. But your phone rings at 10, and your peoples know you're asleep. You immediately go, somebody's got good news. <laughs> Come on, people, Really? Or someone sends you a text, call me when you get a minute. You go, man, they just want to share a blessing with me. <laughs> right? See, right where your mind goes, immediately, right? No, no. You get that phone call, the phone rings, your heart starts doing this, and you go, oh, Jesus, what is it? It could be a wrong number, then you lay in bed like this. What was that? Why was it a wrong number? Why'd they call me this late at night? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they called the wrong number. They'll get blessed. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. Some of them. Some people, that lifestyle I was talking about, they lay Jesus to sleep when they go to bed, and you mess them up and wake them up. They don't know Jesus when they wake up. <laughs> I'm sorry, just being real. But that mindset, it, keeps, it will keep you in bondage. I know. I know from experience, it will keep you in bondage. It'll keep you on the edge. And God's saying, I want you free. I know the thoughts that I have for you, Jeremiah. He said, to bless you, to prosper you, to give you an expected end. He said that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him until the day of salvation. He's able to keep it, right? And no matter if that phone call comes at 1030 and it's not a good one, is he bigger than the call? (laughs) I, I fully believe that the Son of God wants to set us free today. He wants to set us free today from whatever that is, that worry, that fear. I've I've been studying. I told you last week I was going to try to speak out of Luke and the the prodigal son and had been there again this week, and the Lord just kept bringing me back to to Luke chapter uh, 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and it says this. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. That's a good word right there. As his custom was. You know what that means? He was accustomed to being in the house of God. Amen. Two grunts. Amen. He, he was accustomed to be in the house of God. That's what it says. Now, what I said is what he said. In verse 17, and he, he, handed, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all were on, who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son. Is this not Joseph's son? They immediately went back to the natural, to the flesh, what they knew about him instead of who he was. 
And he said this. I want to go back to verse 18 because I feel like this is what the Lord is saying. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, if you look in context of the scripture, what's going on, he's in the synagogue, right? It was his custom to go. He was in the synagogue. If you keep reading, and I won't, uh, in verse 31, we see where there's a a demoniac manifest in the church, (laughs) and... uh, And this is amazing to me. Verse 34, saying, this is what he cried out, the demon cried out, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demoniac knew who Jesus more than the people. in What did the people say? This is Joseph's son. Right? All they could see is Joseph's son, but the demoniac, he knew who he was. He said, you're the Holy One. You're the Son of God. I know who you are. And you know, I've seen that happen in services before where a demonic presence will manifest and church people freak out. But here's what's amazing. That demoniac knows when they're in the presence of the Lord and and they can't take it. But the church... The synagogue, they said, isn't this Joseph's son? They immediately went back to the natural. And Jesus spoke to, Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And uh, of course he did. You go on verse 38, Peter's mother-in-law is healed. And uh, in verse 40, he says he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So this is what's going on. Then verse 42, now they Now, when it was day, he departed and went to a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So now he's left Nazareth. He's in Galilee in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5. So it was that the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of of God, that he stood by the lake Genesaret, a sea of Galilee, and, so, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Verse 3, Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to, push out a little, to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Verse 4, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. All right, who did the people think he was? Who did the people see him as? Joseph's son. Who did the maniac see him as? The Lord, the Holy One of God, that he recognized who he was. So here's Peter. He's on the boat. What did Peter do for a living? He was a fisherman. What did Jesus do for a living growing up? Carpenter. He was a carpenter. That's what Jesus did. It says he, was, uh, uh, he worked with his father as a carpenter. So here's a carpenter, he asked to use a boat, and he uses the boat, and he says, Peter, push out into the deep. Okay, work with me. If, Peter, if he had said to Peter, hey, I want to build you a new boat, that would probably made sense. Because he's a carpenter, that's what he knows about. But here's Jesus, the carpenter, speaking to Peter, the fisherman, telling him to push out into the water, into the deep, in the daytime. Now, here's what Peter knew as a fisherman, that it's... During the day when it gets hot, the, feet, the fish do what? They go down to where it's cool. So Peter, in the natural, if he would have been looking at Jesus as Joseph, the carpenter's son, and not as Jesus the Lord, from hearing what he was saying, he would have argued, knowing Peter's personality, he would have argued with Jesus. Right? Because he didn't have a problem with that later when Jesus said, I, I've got to die. And he said, you're not, you're not going to die. Peter said, he said, get behind me, Satan. Peter didn't have a comfort. He didn't have a problem with speaking his mind. Sometimes his mouth got him in trouble. So here's Jesus the carpenter speaking to Peter the fisherman, and he says, launch out into the deep. And I want you to understand how we see Jesus makes all the difference in the world. 
How we see Jesus makes all the difference in the world. If you see Jesus as just a good teacher, because I was going to go there too, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, and he said, good teacher. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. The next time he refers to him, you know how he refers to him? Teacher. He dropped the good. He just referred to him as teacher. See, it's not as important as who Jesus is to me as it is who Jesus is to you. Because who Jesus is to me affects me. And I'll preach from that place, but who Jesus is to you affects how you walk when you walk out of here. So Peter, the fisherman, they had fished all night, and they caught what? Zero. Nada. Nothing. They caught nothing at all. So do you think they were a little tired? Has, has heaven forbid, but has Jesus ever asked you to do something when you just didn't feel like it? Let, that, let it be not so. It's not always convenient, but it's always fruitful. So he looks at Peter, and he says, launch out into the deep. And you've got to think about this, not just from our spiritual. You know, I said this a few weeks ago. Sometimes we're at a disadvantage because we know the beginning of the story and the end of the story, right? We know because we've read, we know what happens, and that's awesome. But if you were there in the moment, and here's a, a carpenter tell a fisherman to to launch out in the deep, in your mind, you're thinking, this makes no sense at all. It's too warm. The fish are going to be deep. Our nets won't reach. You're a good teacher. You saw a lot of good stuff, but you've, you're out of your element right now. You're out of what you, your realm of understanding. So, you know, it would be easy for us to make excuses for Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I understand what you're saying, but you know, it's it's not a good time to fish, and I don't want you to look bad because you just delivered a really good message. So I don't want you to look bad, Jesus. I'm, I'm thinking about you. <laughs> That's like when Jesus puts on your heart to go tell somebody something, to give somebody a prophetic word or something like that, and you go, well, I'm not real good at that. And Jesus, I don't want you to look bad. Right? Or he says, I want you to go pray for that person. They'd be healed, and you got something physical going on in your body. Oh, don't shout me down. And you, in your mind, go, well, Jesus, I don't want you to look bad in case it doesn't work. (laughs) That's a mindset that we have. And really what it is is us. We don't want to look bad saying we're doing it for Jesus. Okay, don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. So he told Peter, this story just amazes me. And he's had me here meditating in this for some time over the past couple of weeks, just meditating on the reality of Jesus the carpenter telling Peter the fisherman what to do with his boat. And Peter being obedient, and that's what, uh, verse 4, he said, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said, him, said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. <laughs> Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. That's why I've been saying for so, t- for so long that this right here, the word of God, must be the standard. This must be the foundation of our lives because Peter said, at your word, I'll do what you said. When we have his word, this is what we have to stand on. No matter what circumstances look like, what situations have fallen out to be, we've got to look to what his word says, and we've got to say, God, at your word, I'll do what you said. If we don't have all the answers, we can still say, God, at your word, I'll take my stand. So Peter said that, at your word... Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they, signed, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. You know, some commentators say that they caught about a ton of fish. That would have been two weeks' worth of fish at the wrong time listening to a carpenter. And they caught two weeks' worth. That's pretty impressive. 
you know, in Mark's gospel in chapter 10, he said, there's, there's no one who's left houses and lands, fathers and mothers, who will not in this world receive a hundredfold and eternal life in the one to come. But he said, in this world. And you know what? I'm convinced many times we don't see return in this world because we don't believe he wants us to have it. We don't believe it. But here, Peter, I mean, I think about that. Peter, listening to Jesus, he had heard him. He was there washing his nets, and then Jesus was in the boat. And here's something, maybe you're smarter than me, and I'm okay with that. Really, I am. But it kind of a, an, an aha moment for me as I was looking at this and really meditating on this week. In my mind, okay, I'm not perfect. But in my mind, Jesus got out of the boat and told Peter to launch out into the deep. But nowhere does it say Jesus ever got out of the boat. Are you with me? In context, when Jesus said, Peter, go out, launch out in the deep, he didn't get out of the boat and let Peter go do his deal. He went with him. But what Peter did is he offered Jesus everything he had. He had his, this was his business. He said, Jesus, here's my business. And Jesus said, I'll go with you. They launched out in the deep, and it wasn't just his boat. It was his partner's boat, James and John. Their boat was filled to capacity. But what they had to do is they had to be willing. Peter had to be willing to, at his word, do what the Lord had told him to do, even when it looked contrary to everything he knew in the natural. Have you ever been told to do that by the Lord? Have you been told to do something that looks totally contrary to everything you know in the natural? Many times you can tell if it's one of those because you feel like you got a, a softball right here. You're trying to swallow and you just can't get it down and your heart's beating in your ear. As Savannah said the other week when she was here, if you've got a Fitbit on, it clicks into cardio mode. And you're going, what the what is going on? Your body responds, but you go, nevertheless, Lord, at your word, I'm going to step, I'm going to give you everything I have, I'm giving to you. I'm going to say that Peter's willingness, his obedience, brought a pretty good return. <laughs> because Peter was there with nothing, but he went home with two weeks worth of, of uh, income. That's a pretty good day at the, at the office. So verse 7 is where we read. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat, and they came and, uh, to help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And, also, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Listen to this, verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. <clears throat> Peter's in the boat. He falls to his knees. He says, I'm not worthy. To have you in my boat, I'm not worried. Because what? Peter knew his stature. He knew who he was. He knew his past. He knew what had, what had gone on in his life. He said, I'm not worthy. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. From here on out, I'm going to teach you how to catch men. And when they got their nearly sinking boats to the shore, it says they forsook all and followed him. They, they realized that this was not just a man that it was the Son of God, and that he was worthy of them laying their lives down for him. And I believe today that same thing has to be realized by us, that he's not just a good teacher, he's not just a good man, he's not just someone that one day he'll take us to heaven, that right here, right now, he's worthy of us laying down our everything to him, our livelihood, everything that we know to be familiar, to laying that over on him and saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to do what you've called me to do. I want to be obedient to hear your voice. And how do we do that? How do we get to that place? The only, play, only way you'll do there is Goshen, is drawing near. 
The only way you'll do that is by saying, Jesus, I want to draw near to you. Now, some, there are those that will make that radical leap and just go from running this way to running wide open this way. But for many, it's a, it's a slow turn. And here's what's so beautiful about Jesus. He'll meet you where you are. But there's the invitation to come. There's the invitation that he's extending to us to not just do life as usual. Peter's life was radically changed because he said yes to a carpenter. He said yes to do what he had told him to do when it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. It was the wrong time. He was, he was an experienced fisherman and Jesus was not. But he went against all of that to be obedient. He said, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do what you've said to do. And I, I feel like that's what the Lord is asking us today. He's saying, will you forsake rationale and follow me? He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those that are captive. That's the Lord's will for us today. No matter what you carried in, this Jesus, the one, and as you, as you read through here, like I said, he was in church in context from four to five. You see uh, what happens then in, in chapter five, as you keep reading, after they got back to the shore, he says he, he cleansed the leper. And then after that, he heals a paralytic where they tore the roof up and they let him down. All those things, Jesus revealed who he was. And he's saying, I want to do the same to you, but you got to be willing to follow me. And that doesn't mean that he's calling you to leave what you're doing right now and go into full-time ministry. I think we miss that sometimes. I think we get so stirred up in the Lord, we think that we've got to be full-time. When God's saying, no, I've anointed you to be right where you are to bring light in the place where you are right here, right now, because you'll reach people where you are that I can't reach. But we still have to say yes when he calls, yes to what he says, when he says, where he says. And, and sometimes it would, it's a, a bigger challenge for you to stay where you are doing what he's told you to do than it is to just leave and believe for something else. But he's, he's saying... I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. But it's so easy to stay in fear and, not, and, and be afraid that we're going to miss it. I think that in my life has kept me from uh, stepping out more than anything is that fear of, well, what if it's not right? What if it's wrong? And here's what I've learned. If I choose not to obey, I'm wrong every time. Do I get it right 100% of the time? No, not at all. But I'm learning, and I'm, I'm more willing to step out to say, Jesus, you lead me. I want to follow you. I'm tired of being in the bondage of self-will and worrying about what others may think about me instead of what, who you know me to be. So I believe today there's an invitation. I'm not going to preach long. I believe there's an invitation that the Lord is saying, I invite you to come. Just as you are, I want you to come because there's things I want to do in you. There's things I want to do through you. But we have to be willing. Peter gave everything. Do you understand that? All he had at that point on the seashore was his boat, his nets that he had been mending. How many of you know just that statement that Peter probably wasn't the happiest person? He was doing what? Mending his nets. He was having to fix a problem, right? So here's Peter. I, I just want you to understand how, how real this is because we can super, super spiritualize it and go, well, Peter just saw the glow around Jesus' head and how when he walked, his feet didn't touch the ground, so it was easy for him to follow him. Right? That's the way the paintings are. But here's Peter. Have you ever been frustrated at work? <laughs> Karen, you're so awesome. Karen said, oh. are you kidding me? So you get frustrated at work. 
And it can be that time, right in the middle of your frustration, that Jesus says, hey, I want you to do this. You know why? You know why he does that? Because he loves you that much. What are you talking about? Because he's wanting you to get your eyes off of you so that you can see him and you can be him to somebody else. That's how much he loves you. You know, I was really prepared to teach a lot of today, and you might hear some of it later, so I don't know how much I want to share. <laughs> Just about the, the system that we live in, the world system we live in, and this entitlement mentality that's huge in the world, this narcissistic entitlement that says it's all about me. And if I don't get my way, I'll riot or I'll, I'll fight or argue. I'll uh, make your life miserable because it's all about me. In case you didn't know, it's all about me. And that you owe me this. And uh, you know what? There's two sides to that. There's the side that says, well, this is mine just because of, because of who I am. And there's the other side of legalism that, says, legalism that says, I did all of this, so you have to do it. They're both entitlement. One says, I don't have to do anything. It's just owed to me. The other says, I did all this, so you've got to do something. Oh, me. And that's plaguing our, our country right now. This sense of entitlement that you owe me something, and if I don't get what I want, then I'll just pout. It was, it was beautiful. <laughs> uh, out after worship practice, Cam and uh, Fallon, they were out in the grass, and Fallon was on the ground having a fit. And Cam just walks away, and I said, he said, yeah, he's working through some personal issues right now. <laughs> I thought, that's awesome. That's a great illustration for what I'm going to preach today. And then the Lord changed it all, but I still used it. But he said, yeah, he's working through some personal issues right now. He didn't entertain him. He didn't even have to beat him at that moment. He just let him see. I'm here all by myself doing my deal. And this isn't working out the way I thought it was going to work out. And you know what? He came in. With dad, and they were both smiling. It's amazing. He wasn't scarred for life or anything. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> and one of the things that I read that was so powerful is this. It says that entitlement ends where gratitude begins. Amen. When I become thankful... When I become thankful for what I have and what God has given me, then I won't look to what other people owe me. And I'm going to tell you, I started reading through these things that talk about an entitlement mentality, and Jesus whipped my butt in love. I didn't understand that term until I had a kid. I'm doing this because I love you? Yeah, whatever. When I was a kid, I thought, well, if you love me so much, let me whip you, and then we'll both feel better. <laughs> right? That's the revelation right there. <laughs> It wasn't dad as much as mom. Mom, mom face turned red and she'd just go to whipping. Dad would have to pull her off because she's like a switch. <laughs> I love my mom. She's awesome. That's the truth. Is it the truth? Mom, is that the truth? See, I ain't telling something ain't true. <laughs> Jesus, I have no idea where I was going. Y'all messed me all up. What was I talking about before I got beat by my mom? Huh? In love. Yes, if you really love me, then Jesus spanked me in love because he showed me in these things of entitlement. One of the things that it said, here's a, here's a man, I don't know why I always talk about this. He said, here's a locator as I was reading this article. It said, if you get angry in traffic because people are in your way, then you have a sense of entitlement that they're in your way and you should, they should move so you can get where you're going. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what I did? Backspace. I don't want to read that anymore. <laughs> I'm free in Jesus' name. 
<laughs> Lord, that's not you. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> oh, he's good. Let's stand. I'll keep talking if you keep seating. I don't want to talk past him. I really, I really feel that the Lord wants to set us free. I think he wants to set, and you know, that's not just for the one who's had a really rough life. That's for every one of us. Jesus wants us free. And you go, well, I'm not in, you know, that's what's so amazing. When Jesus would teach about freedom, the Pharisees would say, we, we've never been in bondage to anybody. That's a religious mindset. That's a lying devil. You've never been in bondage. They were in bondage 400 years. Beat down slaves. They said, we've never been in bondage to anybody. See, that's not faith, ignoring a reality. Faith says, I acknowledge the reality, but I speak truth over that reality that says the truth of the word of God supersedes the facts that I see right now. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into today. That's what he's inviting us into today, that we would say yes to Jesus. And that sounds so religious, but it's so true. That at your word, Lord, I'll do what you say. So I want you to close your eyes. We had said earlier, uh, Josh had the word about Father, take us to the Father. That, that we could know him and know what he has to say to us today. So as you're standing there with your heads bowed, ask him, say, Father, is there something that I need to let go of at your word? Is there a mindset? Is there an entitlement mentality? God, is there something I need to let go of and give to you because it's hindered me in my walk. What is my boat? 